Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God for the people of God. Author of life, we thank you for your word and we ask that your spirit would be with us this morning to transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. For the last few weeks, we've been making our way through Paul's letter to the Colossians. The first week, we looked at Paul's opening in order to talk about thankfulness. We saw that by rooting himself in prayer, Paul is able to give thanks no matter the circumstances. Even as he sits in a jail cell, he gives thanks to God. Even as he's called upon to settle a dispute, he gives thanks to God. We started to see that Paul's resolute thankfulness comes from the hope that comes directly from God to inspire us to love our neighbors and to trust in God. In the second week of looking at this letter, we moved into the Christ hymn that Paul borrowed to make an argument about the nature of Christ. 
We considered what it means to be free from the judgment of the world. We considered how it is that Christ comes to have the final judgment over all our lives and over all creation. We saw that in this reality, we are given a radical freedom to serve the kingdom of God. Then last week, we continued to unpack what it means to have this freedom to serve the kingdom. We looked at the example of two Christians who resisted the forces of the world in large, dramatic, political ways. We thought about what it means to trust in Jesus even to the point of death. And we compared this costly discipleship of the gospel to the cheap grace that convinces us we can be Christians without following in the narrow way of Christ. Now, today, as we reach the end of our time with Paul's letter to the Colossians, we come full circle from thanksgiving to forgiveness. Where thanksgiving is the product of the hope that comes from God, forgiveness is the product of the love that comes from God. You've heard me make reference before to John Wesley's remarks that true Christianity is gratitude to God and benevolence to our neighbors. Here we see the same idea bookending Paul's remarks to the Colossians. Give thanks to God, even in the tough times, and forgive one another as God has forgiven you. Now this second point is no less difficult than giving thanks in the midst of trials. The idea of forgiveness is itself a radical opposition to a world that tells us to get even. Because that's the crux of the thing, right? The way of the world is an eye for an eye. We have sayings like, don't get mad, get even. Revenge is a dish best served cold and keep your friends close and your enemies closer, that all instruct us on how to repay the harms that have been done to us. But Christ comes and offers a new way of living. The Gospel of Matthew shares the words of our Lord as such. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And now Paul is reminding the people of Colossae, this is the life that you have been called to. 
for all the weighty implications of serving the kingdom of God, at the end of the day, we have to be committed to this kind of life in the most radical and ordinary ways. When we think about resisting the ways of the world, it is easier, in a way, to look at stories like the ones we heard last week than to think about our ordinary, everyday interactions. The example of people like Bonhoeffer and Niemöller are dramatic. They're very clearly on the side of justice against people who are clearly villainous. But evil never begins at such a dramatic place. The Nazis did not start killing people in gas chambers on day one of their rule. The genocide in Rwanda did not erupt in a vacuum. The genocide of the Rohingya people in Myanmar has not happened overnight. Evil begins in the most ordinary ways. And I'm going to go a little bit off script here because when I woke up this morning and the first news that I saw was of another shooting last night in Dayton, Ohio, I was reminded of two words that speak to the way that this evilness begins in such ordinary ways. The first is a Greek word, sclerocardia. It's a word that occurs time and again throughout scripture. And what it means is hardness of the heart. It's an indifference to the suffering that other people are feeling. It's an indifference to the fact that there are other people in the world. And it's this sclerocardia, this hardness of the heart, that allows for somebody like Kyle Bristow, who was raised in a church here in Clinton, to become a lawyer who defends white supremacists and Nazis and founds organizations to promote white supremacy. And the other word is kavat, ka, German word, give me a second here, cadaver gehersum. I'm sure you recognize that bit cadaver at the beginning from the word for corpse. And it's not a very easily translatable word, but essentially what it means is corpsely obedience. It's where we just shuffle through life completely unthinkingly. It's, it's beyond blind obedience. It's, it's as if we're a corpse just doing what other people tell us to do. And this is the defense that the Nazis gave. I was just following my orders. I didn't think about it. It's how the architects of the Holocaust could say, I didn't kill any Jews. I was just following my orders. And it's an illness that continues to plague every society on this earth when we have people who are just following their orders no matter the harm that happens to others. But just as evil and hatred are born in these most ordinary of ways, so are love and hope. For my birthday, I got a book called Visions of Vocation, Common Grace for the Common Good by Stephen Garber. 
I'm still working my way through it, but I want to share with you a little section from the beginning of the book, from the introduction. He begins the book by describing a series of interactions that he's had with people from China. The first is in the aftermath of the violent repression of the Tiananmen Square protest, when he was called upon to meet with some of the leaders of that protest who had come to the United States. And then later, about 10 years later, he's given the chance to go to China to watch and discuss the film Amazing Grace with the students and professors of the Beijing Film Academy. Now this film that he went to watch with them is the story of the abolition of slavery in Great Britain. And a condition of his being there was that he wasn't allowed to discuss any counter-revolutionary ideas with this generation of post-Tiananmen students. And then a few years after that, he has a third interaction where he's invited to Shanghai to meet with students from all over East Asia who are trying to understand their place in the history of their countries. And as he reflects on why these interactions mean so much to him, he writes, I also know that it has a lot to do with hearing the hearts of men and women who love their culture and who want more than anything else to be a part of its future. They see themselves as responsible for China, for love's sake, and China needs them. But life for most of us does not carry the weight of Tiananmen. The reality is that our lives are very ordinary. In their own ways, of course, my Chinese friends see their lives like this too. How could they not? Apart from being horribly plagued by hubris, we do not see ourselves as history might. We live among ordinary people, doing ordinary things in ordinary places. We are families and we are neighbors. We worship and we work. We laugh and we cry. We hope and we love. The stuff of life for everyone, everywhere. But it's also true that whether our vocations are as butchers, bakers, or candlestick makers, or as people drawn into the worlds of business or law, agriculture or education, architecture or construction, journalism or international development, healthcare or the arts. In our own different ways, we are responsible for love's sake, for the way the world is and ought to be. We are called to be common grace for common good. And I wanna highlight one sentence there. In our own different ways, we are responsible for love's sake, for the way the world is and ought to be. This is the message that Paul is sending to the Colossians. Love the way that Jesus loves you. Forgive the way that Jesus forgives you. And let me just say that forgiveness doesn't mean that we condone the harmful behavior of someone else. It doesn't make what they did okay. But forgiveness does say, I'm not going to hold on to the pain that you have caused me. I'm not going to let that hurt eat away at my soul. I will not let it make me bitter and angry. I was trying to think of places that we have a chance to practice forgiveness in our everyday life. And my first thought, having worked in retail, was how graceless an environment that can be. But then another memory came to me as well. 
the world of online gaming. I love gaming most of the time. I love the community. I love the friendships that happen. I love the support that people provide to one another. But every community has its toxic elements. And sometimes the world of online gaming can be a horrific place. And one day as I was watching a video of a professional gamer who was talking about how to deal with players who get into a game and are just abusive to everyone. And the thing that he had to say sounded an awful lot like the words that we just heard Christ give to his followers. Basically what he said was, if someone's being awful to you, don't turn around and be awful back to them. You don't know what was going on in their life. They might have had a bad day at work. They might have just broken up with someone. Or this might be the one way that they feel like they have any power in their life. And all that's going to happen if you get angry back at them is that your day gets ruined too. So just absorb that negativity that they're aiming at you and let it die. Even better, respond to their negativity with kindness. Being the positive person on your team can totally change the way that the game goes. By being positive, you give the rest of your team the chance to respond to that positivity, to start sharing their own positivity. And who knows, you may even turn around the person that was being awful in the first place. Now I know that for many of you, online gaming is probably not a part of a community that you're in. But no matter what communities we're a part of, whether it's a Bible study, a crafting group, a church, or a village, we are responsible for love's sake, for the way that that community ought to be. Every time we do anything in our communities, we're presented with the choice to be loving and forgiving or to be cruel and unforgiving. And whichever choice we make, that is how people will see us representing our Lord Jesus. When I was in seminary, some of our classes would create rules for discussion at the beginning of the semester so that we could hold each other accountable to a community standard. One of the most important rules in any class was to hear each other as graciously as possible. This meant that if you had a disagreement with somebody, you first had to give them the benefit of the doubt that there was good intention behind their words. This rule requires forgiveness because it means that when somebody says something harmful, you need to forgive them enough to at least be able to talk through the harm. And these are the kinds of ordinary ways that we resist the forces of the world. And thankfully, in this community called the church, we're not on our own when it comes to the business of forgiveness. As we take communion this morning, we'll be practicing forgiveness toward one another and we will be shown how to forgive by God. When we pass the peace, it's a liturgical act, meaning it's work belonging to us as the people of God to make ourselves right with one another. In the modern church, we sometimes treat it as a ritualized time of greeting, 
But when we offer God's peace to one another, we should truly be extending a blessing to one another. And when we come to the table to receive the elements, we are being extended forgiveness once again by Christ who sits in final judgment. So as you receive forgiveness through the sacrament this morning, give thanks to the God of love. Give thanks for your siblings in Christ. Give thanks for the chance to love the world as Christ loves you and for the chance to forgive the world as Christ has forgiven you. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Loving God, keep us trusting in you. Fill us with the hope of your kingdom so that we might have the courage to represent you to the world through our own love and forgiveness. When others see us, let them see you. Amen.